0: It's great to see you here on this wonderful, fresh morning. I actually like Memphis winters. You never know what to expect, 75 or 25. It's great. If you don't like variety, you may struggle with it. But if you like variety, we get it all. But it's great to see you here today. And this is a very special day. And for those online, we're glad that you're watching. And for those visiting today, my name is David Olford. I'm a member here, an elder here, and involved in a ministry of equipping and encouraging people in church leadership and in pastoral work. And so it's my privilege today to share from God's word. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to focus almost completely on communion, on the Lord's table. I want us to celebrate Jesus today. I want us to focus on him. And so let's have a word of prayer as we move into that. We've been singing your praises, O Lord. And I trust we've been singing them from our hearts. And Lord, you are so worthy this morning. And Heavenly Father, I want to speak well of your Son. And I know that that brings joy. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do a work in our hearts today. We need you today, and we need your work in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will, as we've just sung, that you'll pull back a little bit of anything that would hinder us from seeing you as you are, Lord Jesus. In your splendor, in your glory, in your beauty, in your majesty, and especially, Lord, in all that you've done for us. We're grateful today. We're grateful. And so, Lord, as we come to your table and as we reflect on it, as we think about it, as we meditate on it, as we look to your word, I pray that we'll have a greater appreciation of your sacrifice for sin, the pain that you experienced. And yet, Lord, the victory... And the fact that the same power that raised you from the dead lives in us. And we thank you for that today. So guide us as we look to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to draw your attention in just a few moments to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's one of the four accounts of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Communion is a time of celebration in the sense that we remember what our Lord has done for us, especially his death on the cross for our sins. But it's not only a time of celebration, we actually are acting out something that's a proclamation. And you'll see it in the very wording of the reading, because it says as we do this, we proclaim his death until he comes. Our Lord is risen, he's reigning, he's exalted, he's here by his spirit today, he's with us. But we're going to remember in a very special way as he asked us to do, what he did for us in terms of the cross. So it's celebration, it's proclamation, it's also examination. We're told to examine ourselves to make sure that we're truly in fellowship with the Lord and even with one another, and that there's no barrier in us participating in the kind of worship that our Lord asks for. And so let me read this passage of Scripture. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and remember last week David LeBlanc shared a message from Colossians chapter 2, dealing with walking in Christ and that we need to focus on being in Him and following him and growing in him and, and being thankful in him. Our life is in Christ as believers. And here, Paul is writing to Corinth, and this was a church that had all sorts of issues, division, immorality, doctrinal problems, and Paul addresses them one by one. And they even had problems celebrating the Lord's Supper. And right in the middle of it, he reminds them this nugget of what the Lord's Supper is all about. In verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. I've already told you this. This This was right from the Lord. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. Isn't it interesting that that's the historical item that Paul focuses on? The night he was betrayed, he was denied, he was forsaken, and yet he wanted to celebrate this with his disciples. The night he was betrayed, he he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Of course, the bread representing his body, his body given. Hebrews 10, sometime read through that passage. It's a great, great explanation of that, how his body was given as a sacrifice for sin in order that we might have a right relationship with God. But he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Notice he doesn't say this cup represents my blood. He said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And what he's saying is that this is establishing a new relationship. That's what the Old Testament predicted. And as you celebrate this, you are acknowledging that this is a new day. It's a new relationship. It's a covenant of forgiveness. It's a covenant that God talked about in Jeremiah and other parts of the Old Testament where God was going to forgive his people and he was going to write his law on their hearts. His spirit was going to be in their lives. And, and so he was enacting this. He was establishing a new covenant through his death. And so when we take the bread and take the cup, we're, we're celebrating our Savior. We're celebrating what He's done for us and we're celebrating this relationship that He's made possible through His death and His resurrection. And to help us prepare for that, I-, I want to turn our attention to an Old Testament account. An Old Testament account. And I want to read this together as we reflect on the love, the kindness, the greatness of the mercy of our Savior. And I believe that that will lead us into our time of communion this morning. And so if you would turn, if you have a Bible handy or if you've got some other type of device, the guys in the the electronic medium refer to what I have here as a wood product. I still use wood products on occasion. But uh, I've got 2 Samuel chapter 9 in front of me and I'm going to read through this and keep in mind what we've just said about communion and the new covenant. This is about King David. These are the good days of the kingdom that we're reading about. David's throne is established. He's moved from Hebron to Jerusalem. He's been there a number of years. This is before Bathsheba and Uriah and the Absalom rebellion. And this is after God has expressed his covenant promise to David about the throne. And indeed, King Jesus is the one who fulfilled that promise. And so we're going to be talking about King Jesus, but we're looking right now at King David. Of course, Jesus was in the messianic line. And David's greater, greater, greatest son was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zeba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, "He is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar." Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, that's the name of Jonathan's son, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. He paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. That's Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson May have bread to eat, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at David's table, or at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. The final verse. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And he was lame in both of his feet. The title of these remarks is just a a place at the king's table. You see, we're coming to the king's table today. And we have a place at that table. But it's not because of anything we've done. It's because of his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And this is beautifully pictured in this passage where we see the covenantal kindness of David. See, on one level, this passage is about David fulfilling an obligation. He had a bond with Jonathan. My brother's name is Jonathan. And so in our family, we had two sons, Jonathan and David. And that story has always been a blessing to me in the Old Testament. And Jonathan had a special relationship with David, despite the fact that his father hated David, hated him. Jonathan knew that David was anointed. He was the king to come. And so Jonathan was in great relationship with David. And they made a covenant, a, a bond that David would take care of his family and vice versa depending on the circumstances. And so that's the backdrop to this passage. But can you imagine a conversation? Will you allow me to use a little bit of sanctified imagination? I hope so this morning. As you think about this man, Mephibosheth, as he's sitting at the king's table and somebody asks him, what's your story? Mephibosheth might have to talk about the fact that he's from the house of Saul. And Saul, who started out well, uh, deteriorated over time. Saul, after David killed Goliath, you might remember that. Anybody remember David and Goliath. Well, after that, David had many victories, and the people started praising David more than Saul, and Saul became envious, and he became afraid, and he became embittered, and he became the very enemy of David. And so this is the background of Mephibosheth. He comes from the house of Saul. In those days, that wasn't good, if you were going to stand before the king to know that you were from the household of the enemy and yet that was his backdrop but on the same day both his grandfather Saul and his father Jonathan were killed in battle Jonathan the battle overtook him and he died Saul fell on his own sword because he did not want to be abused and he received that news at the age of five Mephibosheth and when he received that news somehow they were fleeing away and leaving the scene And he was dropped. He fell. He injured his legs. And as you can tell from this account, that became part of his identity from then on. And so that's Mephibosheth. And he was living in this place called Lodabar. And I I don't want to guess as to the circumstances there, but he was in the house of this fellow, Makir. But his life changed radically one day. A message came from the king And the king wanted to see him. And so he was brought to Jerusalem to see King David. I can just imagine he must have been very fearful. As a matter of fact, it says he fell prostrate before him. And of course, David ended up saying, do not be afraid. So he probably was very, very fearful. And he said he felt like a dead dog in the presence of the king. And you know what, if I think you were going to ask him a question, Basibashef, why are you here? Why are you at the king's table? He would say, it's because of the goodness of the king. It's because of the grace of the king. It's because of the covenant that the king made to show kindness to me. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my works. It has nothing to do with my background other than this covenant relationship upon which the king acted. So I'm here, crippled as I am, but I have a place at the king's table. And I'm in his presence. And it's a great place to be. What's your story today? What's your story today? As we celebrate communion, why do you think you can do that. What's the basis upon which we participate with the king and we celebrate what he has done for us? You see, his death was not just a tragedy. It was a victory. Amen? Amen. He tore the veil. The veil tore in two to give us access into the very presence of God. He established a new relationship with a heavenly father. He made it all possible because of what he did. And What brings us to the table? And I just have one message for us today. It's his grace. His grace, his kindness. It's because of what he chose to do for us. Just a couple of points I want to bring out. Number one, we've been rescued to sit at the king's table. That's glorious. You see... God's purpose for us was not just to get us out of hell and into heaven. His purpose was that we might have fellowship with Him. And that's what's symbolized and acted out as we come to this table. To be around His table. To talk His business. To hear of His exploits. To celebrate with Him. And that's what this is all about. But notice that In this passage, you see the resolve of the king's mercy. Did you read with me as as verse 1? By the way, in an Old Testament narrative, very often that first sentence or that first quote is very important to seeing how the whole thing flows. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He repeats the question when Ziba comes. I love those Old Testament names. Ziba. And he comes and he repeats the question and then Ziba mentions that there is someone and he says, where is he? And so when he's told where he is, he sends for him. Do you see that? It wasn't just some passing thought on the part of King David. He was going after this man. And you know today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that your salvation is as much about God going after you as you going after God. It's the fact that he pursued you. He pursued you all the way from heaven and was born miraculously in conditions that you wouldn't want your child or your grandchildren to come up in. He fled as a refugee because of the antics of Herod and He lived in obscurity for 30 years. I'm talking about King Jesus now. And when John the Baptist came on the scene, he prepared the way, and Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And then he was anointed of the Holy Spirit to move out into his ministry. The first thing that happened was that Satan attacked him, and he beat Satan at his game. Then he called his disciples. He preached. He taught. He healed the sick. He He even raised the dead. He cast out demons. But in the midst of all of this, he set his face to go to Jerusalem because he had a mission. And that mission was a mission of mercy. He had a resolve to go all the way to the cross. And that's what he did through all of the rejection, the humiliation, the false accusation, coming before Pilate and eventually turned over to be crucified, and he hung there bleeding and dying on a cross, took upon himself the wrath of God for sin, and he, he dealt with sin, and he beat sin, and he went into the grave and rose victoriously. He had that resolve. You heard on the screen that uh, in a couple of weeks a gentleman named Robert Morgan is going to be here and, in a book that he wrote called Mastering Life Before It's Too Late, he comments on the fact of what are the first words from Jesus' lips? Do you remember what they were? In the Gospels, do you remember what they were? He was 12. Remember what he said? I must be about my Father's business. And guess what? On the cross, he said it's finished. He came to do the Father's business. And it was a business of salvation. We've been rescued to sit at the king's table. You see the resolve of this king? He was not going to be held back. He was going to reach this Mephibosheth. Secondly, notice the the sensitivity of the king's welcome. It's it's very simple in the passage, but this man was afraid. And he lay prostrate before David. Now, that's hard for us to imagine today. We, we got rid of royalty in America many years ago, and, uh, and yet this is 3,000 years ago, and th- this was the king, and he was majestic, and there was a lot of authority and power, and I'm sure he was awed to be in the presence of Jesus, and we need that. I don't think he came into david's courtroom and said yo king what's up in the kingdom i know you're glad to see me i don't know that he would have come in that way as a matter of fact you know he didn't he knew his background he knew his past he knew the situation but david immediately calms his fear he says do not fear do you remember we just sang it i'm no longer a slave to fear why I am a child of God. This is the story right here. This is the example of that. Isn't it glorious? He he comes in and 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 the king is sensitive. He calls him by name. He says, Do not fear. And then he gives him the assurance of blessings. The assurance of the king's blessings is the thing you need to see. Because he says, For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and the way I think you need to see that today is that it's settled, it's done I'm not going to change it it's something I'm committed to I'm going to be faithful to bless you and I'm going to restore all the land of Saul your father everything that seemed to be lost I'm bringing back he's saying and I'm going to provide all of those verses in 9, 10 and 11 where you hear about the servants and all that was to make sure that there would be food that he would be provided for but folks, the key, the key, three times in this passage, he's told, you're going to sit at my table. You're going to be at the king's table. Now, that may not mean a lot to us. We're so far removed. But what he's saying is, you're going to be in the greatest place. <laughs> you're going to be with me. We're, we're going to fellowship together. We're going we're to talk about kingdom stuff. We're going to have a relationship that... Uh, is going to be very, very special. And folks, that's what we celebrate at the communion table. That's what we celebrate. So we are rescued to sit at the king's table, not just to sort of get out of debar, but to come to be with the king and to, to fellowship with him. This is the grace of our God, the kindness of our God, the mercy of our God, the plan of our God for us. But secondly, we're to be treated as sons. At the king's table. Did you notice that? In verse 11, Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like what? One of his sons. <coughs> Adopted into the family. Does that sound like gospel to you? <laughs> You know, as believers, we've been adopted into the family of God through what Jesus has done for us. We have that relationship with him because of the covenant that he established. You know, to be seated with the king is an unexpected privilege. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been at a dinner party or some engagement where maybe there was a table of eight people or a table of ten people and you approach the table and you notice that all the seats were taken. You ever been there? You expected to be at that table? And you've got three options at that moment, right? One is you can sort of look at the table and look away as if, oh, I wasn't planning on sitting there. And you find another place. The second option is to look at the table and say, uh, somebody shouldn't be here. Uh, That probably wouldn't work. And of course, the third option is to step back about 30 feet and then to run and just to sprawl out over the table and knock the water, the iced tea, the salt and pepper all over the place and say, this is my table. I don't think any one of those would work. But you see, if we're in Christ, if we're walking in him, as our brother mentioned last week, speaking from Colossians 2, and and if we're in that covenant relationship with the Lord, uh, we have a place at the table. We have a place. It doesn't matter about the past. It doesn't matter about the injuries. It doesn't matter about what's taken place. By his grace, because of who he is and what he's done for us, we have a place at the table. That's what we celebrate today. That's what we celebrate today. In a few weeks, People are going to be celebrating the final four. They're going to be celebrating uh, the champion. You're going to hear about buzzer beaters. You're going to hear about uh, all sorts of uh, second-half comebacks. You're going to hear about all sorts of things that people are going to celebrate. Folks, this is the greatest thing in the universe. (laughs) I know it's hard. It's hard for us to grasp, and we have to almost ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see, to see what you have done for us to see your grace, to see your glory, to see your majesty. And so as we do this simple act, and Jesus so beautifully took the simplest of elements and said, I want you to to do this, to remember me. You see, remembrance is a huge part of worship, remembering what God has done, remembering what he's done for us. And so to be seated at the table is an unexpected privilege, but it's also enables continuous fellowship and that's really what it's all about right sitting at the table and that involves for us to be in his word to be fellowshipping with the lord through his word to be in prayer to to listen for his directives to to hear his encouragement to to hear about kingdom stuff that he's all about in this world and folks god is on the move I have the privilege of of being involved in in a lot of international work, and it's it's absolutely awesome what's going on in our world in terms of advances for the gospel and people coming to know Christ and radically changed lives. It's exciting. And even if we have heavy hearts and if we're dealing with things in our own lives, we know that we have fellowship with the King. And so remember, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul actually says we're seated with Christ. (laughs) We're with him. We have that relationship. And so that's what we're celebrating today. That's why he came. That's why he came, that we might be in a relationship with him. Do you know him today? If there's someone here today and you've never, ever recognized your need of a Savior, You need him. You need him. You may be in Lodabar. You may be in some other place. But you're not at the king's table. Life may be good. It may not be good. But the place you need to be is at the king's table with him. In fellowship with him. And recognize that uh, to turn from our selfish ways and our sinful ways and to get on the king's agenda. To recognize that he paid the price for our sin. He went to the cross for us. He paid the penalty for our sin. He did what he had to do to establish this new relationship, this new covenant that had been predicted even in the Old Testament, that we might have a right relationship with God and be able to sit at the table. We have a place at the table today. And so in just a moment, we're going to celebrate Communion. And I'm going to ask that uh, when the elements are served, that everyone gets those elements and we hold them, and we're going to go back to that passage of Scripture that uh, I started with as we go through that communion. But this is Jesus. We've seen this example, and it's a human example from King David in the Old Testament, how he just lavished, lavished his kindness lavished his grace, lavished his love on Mephibosheth. That's us. That's us. That's us as individuals. That's us as a church. That's us as God's people. We come to the table because of him and what he's done for us. Let's just have a word of prayer about that. Our Father in heaven, we, we rejoice in you today. And I pray that our hearts would be truly grateful that we have a place at the king's table. Lord, I I pray that by your spirit we would acknowledge afresh today that it's not because of ourselves, it's not because of something we have done, it's not because of something good in us, it's because of your grace. And Lord, we thank you that you have done what was necessary Lord, that our sins would be forgiven, that we could have a relationship with you that's eternal, but also one that involves day-to-day fellowship in your very presence. So we thank you for that today. We thank you for that today. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not entered into that relationship, that by your Holy Spirit you would draw them They would recognize, Lord, their need of you. Seek, Lord, to trust you, to trust you as the king, the Lord, the Savior, because of all that you've done. We thank you that you're here today. Guide us, Lord, as we celebrate at your table. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you're in need of a Savior today, I want you to come at the end and make sure you talk with us here at the front. We could share with you the love of Jesus even more fully and help you come to him. As the elements are passed, I pray that you will reflect, examine your own hearts as we seek to prepare ourselves to fellowship with the Lord in communion. Just a moment, we'll be taking the bread and the the cup. But this is a time of examination as well as we're reflecting on his glorious grace for us. And Paul writes, uh, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. And he's saying if we're out of fellowship with the Lord, uh, we need to make sure that's right. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup that if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged just spend a moment thanking the Lord and coming before him honestly, openly if there's something that needs to be confessed let's do that then enter into this time together just a moment we'll take in remembrance of me so Lord Jesus we thank you today Heavenly Father we thank you today Holy Spirit we thank you today Lord, we know this is just an act of worship, a foretaste of sitting in heaven with you and celebrating you for eternity. And yet, Lord, I pray that our worship today would impact us in this week as we go forward. That, Lord, that we would go forward in the knowledge of your grace, and your mercy, your kindness towards us. That we would go forward relying upon that same power that raised you, Lord Jesus, from the dead, that we would go forward, Lord, in fellowship with you and with one another, and that, Lord, this week, we would have a very real sense of your presence day by day. Oh, Lord, help us to be witnesses to your grace and your glory to those around us, and we pray for that. We pray for that strength. So we thank you. We bless you. We glorify you. Lord, we... Rejoice in you this day. Take us from this place, Lord, to be your servants this week. In Jesus' name, amen.